Uh, Will you pray with me? Father, just thank you for this moment. I I know that you're going to do something in us that's way beyond my capacity to do. No human can do what you want to do today. So I ask, Lord Jesus, that you'd break through all of the obstacles that are hindering our ministries and our lives. Just break through. Bring radical liberation from Jesus himself. I thank you for this morning. And I look forward to what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I, uh, I have a large subject and I want to uh, go through it. I, I have two sides of my personality. I'm the high D guy that drives the tank right through the mountains. And then I have the high I part that just wants to have fun in it. And I'm a lot better when I can have fun. So uh, I hope not to just drive you through a lot. And I'm looking for something, uh, just an impartation from heaven this morning with this. I want to talk about foundations of a freedom church. And, And I say the only kind of a church that Jesus builds is a church full of the freedom that Jesus Christ brings. And when we look at the comparison between a church that Jesus builds and religion... And what religion constructs in our lives, we find that the main difference between them is that Jesus is not afraid to radically liberate people. And knowing that even this freedom might give them an opportunity to self-indulge in the process. He'd much rather set us dangerously free to explore relationship with him, and then hopefully out of love for him to step in his footsteps and follow him than he would to put a whole bunch of laws and rules and regulations around us to cripple us and handicap us and keep us on the straight and narrow. Religion is about control. Jesus is about liberation. And this puts a whole set of dangerous things in play when we start to think about it. Paul, I, I love what Paul did. Paul went into communities and he planted new covenant churches. He, he planted New Testament churches. That is, churches that simply were focused on Jesus Christ, his ministry, and the implications of that. And, and so what he did, he would lay, I'll talk about this in a minute, the foundation of grace, faith, and the power of the Spirit. And that was the core of the foundation that he laid. And then once he established that church, he'd go on to the next location and repeat the process again and again and again. And then he'd come back because he had relationship with those churches and see how they're doing and add to that and build on that. And, but what he did more often than not was some bozo came along after he was gone and added a bunch of religious nonsense into the mix. And, and I, if I could say there's one problem that I see globally with the church, and that is we've not learned to just do New Covenant ministry. That some con artist has come along and convinced us that if we really want to get super holy, if we really want to qualify for God's best and be at God's end times, you know, A-team, whatever it is, then you need to add a few good rules to this package of Jesus. And because we desire with all our hearts to please him, and our, our passion is to live a life worthy of this calling, we just, we're so thankful to God, we feel like we just owe him something. Religion is there to tell you, you owe him. And here's how you can pay it back. And always convinced that the best path to holiness is add a bunch of laws and rules and regulations to this already perfect life of Jesus Christ. And I say, every one of us comes into the kingdom 
simply by grace and through faith. And the Holy Spirit kicks in and makes this thing explode with life for us. And so we come in the door and we just, we're, we're all messed up. I mean, our lives aren't cleaned up. We don't have anything together. We just heard the message of the gospel. It's free for us by grace, through faith. And then the power of the Holy Spirit kicks in to make it work for us. And isn't that the beauty and the genius of Christianity? And the only thing that ruins that for us is that some older crustacean Christian that's you know, I, I joke and I say that the, that's suffering from spiritual constipation. And they, they're baptized in prune juice and lemon juice. And they're just, they've lost their joy in their life, but they've been in this for 150 years. And I often say, yeah, you've lived one year of Christianity 150 times. That's what you've done. And so, so they're there to tell you, all right, you got a good start, grace, faith, the power of the Spirit's kicking in, but... Has anybody told you that you need to start doing an hour of prayer a day to be really on God's A-team? No. Really? (laughs) And so I I discover now, instead of just a spontaneous talk with God every day where I'm in communication with God, it changes suddenly from this relational intimacy to now I've got a stopwatch on my relationship with God. Because if I really want to be uh, the, the best, and I mean the older Christians are there to tell me this, you know, seriously, you develop this perfect quiet time and you read 10 chapters a day and you've got to, you know, pray for an hour and pray the Lord's Prayer and we've got a whole bunch of things for you to just go through. Pray for the nations, you know, A through whatever Z is, Zimbabwe, I don't know. <laughs> One of those countries that I still can't figure out on a geographical map. But we're to do... All of this, and that somehow that by doing that, that it's going to make you the best that you can be for Christ. And and what happens is, just like a marriage, I use this illustration often with my wife. If I treated Kathy like most of us treat Jesus, she would be slitting my throat in the middle of the night or feeding me something toxic in the next meal. Because my relationship with Kathy is just pure love-driven. I love her, and so I, I can't help but fall all over myself and serve her and give myself away for her. And so I, every day, I don't have a stopwatch. It says, now's your time, baby. Here's your 15 minutes with me. Come on, let me know what, what's on your mind. I'm here, I'm listening, I'm listening. Actually, I'm probably talking more. That If we treated our, our spouses like that, would we have a marriage for more than 30 seconds? No. And yet we slip into something religious so easily. We add Jesus plus a few good performances to make this thing work. And I want to tell you, that's what's killing Christianity in the nations. And most of us have not thought through this foundation. And, and we have a mixture of the old religious foundation and a mixture of this new thing that we have in Jesus. So I I just want to spend a little time talking about this, and I've already passed uh, my intro time, so uh, here we go. (laughs) And I just want to say, we have no fears in radical biblical Christianity that, that, uh, that we've got to somehow be put into a box in order to be perfected in holiness. But what we do know is that Jesus 
God, our Father, the Holy Spirit, they're not control freaks on any level. In fact, we were set free to be free. And that's the bottom line thing. Philippians 2, you know this scripture, and let me just summarize it. Uh, Have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. And taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I just want to say, if you're a control freak leader, there's, there's some vein of toxic religion going through you. And you need to see it for what it is and get over it. Repent of it and get past it. God is not a control freak, and he does not con- con- uh, create control freak churches and religions. Okay? He's not one at all. So number one, a control freak. How do you identify one? A control freak can't let go of power. Philippians 2.6. It says that Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Control freaks hold on to what they've got with a death grip. But Jesus, fully aware and conscious that he was everything, he had it all, was able to let go in order to serve and come to this earth and do his mission for us. That's a primary example of leadership. Number two, a control freak must uh, always be seen as superior to others, and he won't zero out. The the one mark of religion is, as as Ty was saying yesterday, comparing and contrasting yourself with others, and and it's like, it's it's the great religious comparison trip. I have to look good, so that means I've got to look down on somebody. And if you remember any church environments you've been into, it's always like, who's on top, who's on the bottom, and where do I stand in relationship with this thing? Jesus, our example, became the lowest, the least, and the last, went as low as low could go on the cosmic limbo pole of life. I mean, he went so low that there was only up from there. Now that tells me as a leader, I simply live there myself. That how low should I go? Low enough to be able to take the panca- uh, pancake flipper and get it under you and lift you up. And if I'm not that low, I can't lift anybody up because I'm too busy lording it over you and looking down on you. Number three, a control freak won't be a selfless servant of others. Taking the form of a servant, it says in Philippians 2.7, and being born in the likeness of men. Now we understand Jesus did not just humble himself He became the lowest of servants. He exemplifies that in John 13, where it says that he showed them the full extent of his love. I love NIV's translation of that. And and what he did is he then stripped down to his Jesus underwear. And then he he washed his disciples' feet, which on the pecking order of, uh, of what is the highest and the lowest order of servants, that was the worst job. That probably cleaning up poop. But Jesus took the lowest and the least of of all roles. And a a control freak can't do that. Because I have to be above... I I hate being on a stage, by the way. I like to be level. So if I'm a little nervous, it's because I'm exposed. (laughs) Number five. A control freak... Number four. Control freak won't lay his life down for others. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death. You know, love demonstrates itself in selfless servanthood. If we love, we lay our lives down for the sake of others. That's leadership. 
You create a leadership culture. Hopefully your leadership culture exists to lay their lives down for the sheep. And servanthood is what defines us. We're not, in fact, anybody that thinks eldership is a, is a great position to have in a church really doesn't get this. It's the worst job in the church. Because really you exist to serve Jesus and from that you serve people. And so that means you don't always look pretty to them. And, and that's okay. You know, because Jesus didn't look pretty either, but look at how it turned out for him. Number five, after they killed him, that is. Number five, a control freak will never risk letting, or setting people totally free. I love Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand, there, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Uh, so we know God is not a control freak. And he told us why he set us free. Just to be free. It's for freedom's sake. What's, what's, your, what's your end game, Jesus? I want you free. Now, there's something about the wisdom of God in this. He knows that if we're really set free, then if our response back to God is a response of love, this thing is going to go a long ways. But if it's out of religious obligation, it's doomed to die and kill everybody in its wake. And so the Lord created us for the native environment of freedom. We're like fish out of water when we're not basking in the freedom of Jesus Christ. When we allow ourselves to be taken prisoner and put on us a bunch of laws and rules and regulations to somehow make this life work for us. God created us for freedom. It's our native environment. All right. I don't want to spend too much time on that. I just, I, I, I was thinking this last week about the, the message of the cross. Paul built a foundation of Jesus Christ for his churches. And I often think, what was that foundation? Well, we know 1 Corinthians 3.11, the foundation is Jesus Christ. But what does that look like? What does it shape out to in our churches when we think about it? It's not just saying Jesus a lot. It's not just, you know, a lot of Jesus songs. It should be seen in those things. I mean, when the rave of your heart is Jesus Christ, what comes out of you? Certainly not the Kansas City Chiefs, you know. <laughs> the rave of... <laughs> I give up on all of our sports teams. We're good one minute, and the next minute we're like tragic, you know. So he's just simply saying, <laughs> do we talk about Jesus a lot? Yes, we do. But just talking about Jesus doesn't mean we have a new covenant foundation in place. Because every religious church I know of is talking Jesus, Jesus this, Jesus that. And then they're laying some trip on you. So what does this thing look like? What did Paul really lay? And, and, I, and I thought of this this week. A foundation for a freedom church. Before I get to my really core points really quickly, I'm, I'm going too slow. Uh, it's this. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2. Understanding the meaning of the message of the cross. I just want to say to you today, the message of the cross, and we know Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. We, we, you know, we wear our jewelries and he's not hanging on the cross anymore. Uh, he's resurrected. He is the exalted Lord at the right hand of God the Father. He is Lord. When, when the Bible talks about Savior, Jesus is Savior, it says about 12 times it speaks of his Saviorhood. But like 280 times it talks about Jesus as Lord. 
So the focus is on the lordship, exalted lordship of Jesus Christ. But we think of the cross message as, you know, what does this thing mean? Christ crucified. It's the ultimate judgment. This is what I want to say to you today. It's the ultimate judgment on everything that is about human wisdom and human power and our ability on any level to be religiously good for even two seconds straight, good enough to get somehow God's blessing on our lives or to get him to look at us and reward us because we were religiously good. I want to say that the message of the cross is something we never take out of our brains because the message of the cross is a constant reminder to us that the notion of religion is absolutely stupid and useless and will take you nowhere with your relationship with God. And so you have no place in that to add some Jesus plus a few good laws and rules to keep you on the straight and narrow. You can't add Jesus plus some Moses and think that that's going to make it work. And so I want to say today, the message of the cross is a reminder. It says, me being religiously good is the most hopeless and retarded thing that I could possibly be. Sorry, sorry, that's politically incorrect, but I love the word. It gets through. Yeah. Me being religiously good is so hopeless and it's totally ridiculous. So when some guy comes along to me and tells me, I've got to do a one-hour quiet time. I've got to read X amount of chapters every day. I've got to do, i got to do, i got to do, i got to do this or else it's not going to work for me. I just remember the cross. And the cross tells me, that's gone. He killed religion. When he died on that cross. And that means from here on out, we can't look at that cross and not be reminded, it's not about my performance, period. My performance always stinks. My performance is good for five seconds at best, and then I fall into the pride of Phariseeism, and immediately I've already, I'm under the sin thing again. Not one law written is able to impart life. Only Jesus, the giver of life, can give you life. (sighs) Christianity works because I never escape what the cross said to me from the beginning. My goodness, my capacity to be religiously good and add some laws and rules to somehow impress God and get blessed by God is absolutely futile. And the cross reminds me of that. That's why I say the message of the cross, the meaning of the message of the cross is more than my sins are forgiven because Jesus died this atoning death. That thing is the ultimate judgment that religion is useless to you. We're so weak and powerless, we can't do a thing to make this thing work. And unless Jesus came and saved our weeny, weak, pathetic little hides... And then came into us and made us made it work for us. We are so damned to hell forever. So how in the world can we keep some of that religious thing in us and think that this is pleasing or somehow the way to get through to God? But here's the deal with God. In when you believe in Jesus, you believed into Jesus. Your life plunged into the one and only Son of God. I I have to remind myself of this. God has only one Son. 
his beloved one and only son, Jesus. And when I believe in Jesus, my life is plunged into Christ. Christ is in me. But now, from now on, the Father looks at me just like he looks at Jesus. The Father treats me just like he treats Jesus. So it's not about my performance, how good I'm doing today or tomorrow, how many Bible passages I read. I read the Bible because I love him and I love relationship with him. But I don't read on the quota plan. I pray, not because I've got to go pray, because I've got to go through the act, you know, adoration, confession, and thanksgiving, and supplication. I'm, I'm trying to fulfill my religious obligation. I pray because he's my friend. I'm in communication with him. I love talking to him. I love the fact that he actually answers, and I'm not psychotic. Though that's, that's been questioned. <laughs> I've had a couple elders tell me I really need professional therapy. And I, I joked about that once, and, and the next thing I know, people in the church were throwing coins up on the stage for me to get therapy. So <laughs> I raised a, a group of practical jokers. I don't know what happens. So I'm so serious. Jesus crucified is the death of religion. And... and It just basically tells us if we'll stop adding religious nonsense to this thing, if we understand the meaning of the cross, we have no space in our lives. The cross planted in time and space, point in time, he was crucified. That thing says at that point, the old system shut down. There's no room. There's no space for anything but the grace of God in your life. I'm louder than I like to be. Excuse me. Galatians 3.1, <laughs> I love this. This is what happened to Paul's churches, and it's probably happening in some of ours. He goes away after laying the foundation, and he says in 3.1, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Some guy got into the church and said, You're not quite Jewish enough. If you just would wear a prayer shawl, if you just would blow that, the ram's horn five or six times, and the walls of Jericho will fall at your church. If you just do some of this, but the big thing is, I've got a flint knife, and man, it's time to get circumcised so that you're really in the flow of salvation history. That is such a good news message for all men of every race, color, and creed. So they convinced them, you need to get more Jewish if you really want to get Jesus. That's going on in some of our churches. That just needs to be seen for what it is. It's adding something to Jesus that God does not want added to Jesus. When you get Jesus, you get all of the history of Israel as your official roots. You don't need to do some more stuff to somehow impress God. I'm more Jewish and we're doing the Jewish line dance, which I could never figure out. The grapevine or whatever, Hava Megillah and hopping around. And we're having a heck of a good time. And we think that somehow that's more Christian. More Christian is Jesus. Just stay there. And so here's Paul. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? And who's, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. See, he comes right back to that message. He says, who conned you into Jesus plus some stuff? Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus a little more kosherness in your lifestyle. As though that's going to impress God. He says, was Jesus not publicly portrayed? I couldn't have been a, put it on a bigger screen and bigger letters. Christ was crucified. 
Don't you get what that means? And that's what he's saying. He's like, who bewitched you? Did, did they come in and do the song and dance routine? Abracadabra, shazalazam, wham! This is, you know, did they, did they say some magic words or incantation? How did they, you know, it's like the spirit of stupid came on you. And you forgot the cross. The word, the word bewitched is a great word. I mean, it didn't just start a show. But I, it's, it's the idea of a life-sucking spell that has been cast on you. And religion is at its roots a life-sucking spell. And when our people are without life, they're either disconnected from Jesus or they're in a mix of, I need to do a bunch of stuff and it's killing them. I say the life of God is found in Jesus, the giver of life. And anything else, a bewitching spell, religion is not acceptable behavior. It is a bewitching spell that is designed to suck the life out of you till you come to your senses and say, this is not working. No matter how many people tells me, tell me it's going to work, if you go through it enough, you realize it's useless, fruitless, and it's killing me. And then hopefully you repent and say, oh yeah, the message of the cross is this thing's done. I need to just come back to Jesus. Forgive me for getting religious again. You know, because I get con, I get talked to all the time about how I, they can't stand the danger of setting people free. I want to tell you, you are not free to overcome sin until Jesus sets you dangerously free. And, and I want to say the promise of religion is here's the Ten Commandments. And here's about 400 extras in case you're unclear. And do not smoke, do not chew, do not go with girls who do, whatever. I mean, there's a ton of those, li- the list, you know, the list is a mile long. And, and, and I come into a church and I can tell you whether I can rent a DVD or not, you know, and, and whether the religious police are going to be on me because I might choose something that isn't just G. Now, I'm not licensing people to go off and be stupid. But Jesus trusts us. And and this is the way Christianity works. You believe in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. Who's the most holy person in the universe? The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. Romans Romans 5 is so clear about this. And 8. And Galatians talks about this. The Spirit of your Father crying, I'm the real deal. You're my daddy. That, that work of the Spirit is to create sonship, a sense of connectedness. The communication lines are up and running. My satellite dish is realigned. Heaven is my download and my upload easy now. The Holy Spirit's in me. And, and this is what I say. Why do you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit constantly? Well, number one, we leak. But the biggest reason to be filled with the Holy Spirit is when he's big in my heart, he looses the love of God in my life. And the love of God is designed to perfect holiness the Jesus way. You cannot follow the Ten Commandments. If you just, you know, well, I'm doing pretty well. I didn't murder anybody, but I killed a few. I've nuked a few on the freeway, right, in my heart. 
And the idea is the law's outside of us before Jesus, but in Jesus now, his Holy Spirit is working in me, and he's carved this new covenant relational thing into my core, and now it's my new nature that simply loves God, and his nature is working this obedience through me naturally. It's my heartbeat. The law's written in the tablets of my heart. It's not outside of me. It's in me because the spirit of Jesus lives in me. And from that, all that the law says that I need to do, those ten commandments, I've said this before, the first four are about loving God. If you just love God with all your guts, the first four are in, man. And then the rest of them are about, you know, how we treat people. And when you get Jesus, you get this love nature that automatically loves God with all your heart and loves people. And all that the law was ever designed to do is produced in you by the work of the Holy Spirit. So stay full of the Holy Spirit. And his, and his life pulsates within you. And you find yourself naturally wanting to do the things that please him. It's a natural response of intimate relationship, the fullness of the Holy Spirit producing a love nature that just automatically, I just, I want to do the things of Jesus. I want to obey what he says. I have to force the issue. It's pulsating in my core when I'm full of him. So be full of him. Hop and pop and jump and do Jesus-size and gymnastics and and the gifts, the gifts and the fruit, you know, all those things are wonderful. But the big deal to me is what makes Christianity work is Jesus sends the Spirit to live in you. He says immediately, authentic connection with the Father. You stay full of that and don't get full of religious nonsense. And all the demands of, per, of perfecting holiness, it just naturally is a byproduct of relationship with God. That's how Christianity is meant to work. It's not meant to be complicated. I'm getting nowhere. Number two, foundations for a freedom church. It's, we need to just stand in the freedom of grace plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing is everything that makes the Christian life work. Now, we say this, and we say this often, but what we need to do is come back and think about it a bit. The word grace just means free gift. And we know gifts, right? Politicians are giving gifts right now, uh, or getting gifts given to them by special interest groups. They're not gifts. There is a plan of obligation attached to those gifts. So I give you the gift, and you'll do me some favors. You know, I owe you one with this gift. The, the thing we need to know about the gift, the grace of God, is that there is no payback plan attached to it. It is just simply a completely free gift to us. Regardless of our performance, it comes through Jesus Christ. Simply a free gift. In fact, grace means that all of Christianity is completely a free gift to you from the start, the first breath that you say, I accept Jesus, until the last exhale of your life when you're 150 years old in Christ. Right? I'm optimistic. I just turned 60 I think I'm just starting in middle age. I'm optimistic. Grace means all of this is free. It's totally free, which which doesn't make it cheap because it costs Jesus his bloody death. 
So, but the point is, it's free to us, and we don't work for it, and we don't have to be good for it. It just comes and produces goodness in us. I, I love the truth of Scripture. I mean, uh, I wish we had a lot more time with this. But the point of it is Jesus' death on the cross completely has underwritten the complete cost of the Christian life for us. That it, there is no payback plan. There is no you earning anything. Everything was paid in the cost of death of Jesus up front. When he died, grace was released to cover your life for your whole life. Everything you get is now by grace. It's a free gift. How do you get gifts of the Spirit? How do you move in miracles? Most of the people out there will tell you, if you want to do any of that stuff, you've got to pay the price. And I'm just saying, I think the price was sufficient with Jesus. He paid enough. Why would I think I've got to fast and pray 40 days, seven times in order for the power to come? The power came when I got Jesus. And it's free. How, do miracles, how does God work miracles among you, says in, in Galatians 3.5? Was it through works of the law or by hearing with faith? Is it something you did or did you simply step into what is yours in Jesus Christ and the stuff kicks in? That's how Christianity works, by grace. Generous death on the cross. Uh, Ephesians 2.8, by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it's a gift of God. This is a lot better in Canada. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. And Paul just says this. He just wants us to not fall for Jesus plus you doing a bunch of stuff as the way this thing works. And, and I think that's really the hang-up point. And, and, and when I get to this next point, I think this will be better. Let me just skip ahead because I, uh, I think this will be more useful. The number three. Are we there for number three? I'm sorry, i got a bunch of scriptures there and I hardly even touched them because I took off like a plane uh, trying to launch. Number three, focus on Jesus and new covenant life exclusively. And this is my final point and I will land the plane and hopefully it'll make some sense. Exclusively, no ups and no extras. This is about your own personal walk with Jesus Christ. And this is about how you lead and manage churches. It has to be this way. It says in Luke twenty-two nineteen through 21, Jesus in that upper room took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now we've got the ceremony part, right? Verse 20, and likewise the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now what is that saying? The new covenant is in my blood. It's saying this, the whole of the new covenant is in Jesus. It's in me, he's saying. It's in what I have done and what I do through you. The whole new covenant is in my blood and when he started the new covenant, he shut down the old way of relating to God. What is a covenant? Now, I, I don't have my Bible with me, as probably most of us don't. We have electronic everything, right? Uh, but if you looked at that Bible, you've got two parts to the Bible. You've got a New Testament and an Old Testament. A new contract of relating to God, a new relational contract, that's what a covenant is, Versus an old relational covenant and contract. Now, when Jesus started the new way of relating, 
it shut down the old. So you can't mix what you like from the old into the new and somehow make it work. Because that one, as we're about to see, is obsolete. It's no longer in operation for us. We have only one way of relating to God, and the new covenant way is through the blood of Jesus. It's in Jesus. So why are we fixated on Jesus in NCMI? I mean, the reason is because heaven is fixated on Jesus. And there is no other connection to God except by and through Jesus. And we stay focused on that message that says, don't fall into the old thing again. The message of the cross is, that shut down, it didn't work. The new way will work, and it's all connected to Jesus and staying intimate, connection-wise with Jesus Christ and focused on Him. (sighs) All right. I should have pranced on the floor down there. That would have been better. (laughs) Jesus brutalized on the cross for us. That's the new covenant. And it's the new way of relating to God versus the old covenant of Moses. I've got some scriptures uh, just to thumb through. How do we relate to God in our churches? What is the foundation of Jesus Christ? How does it operate? What are the, what's the operating system of Christianity? There are three key words. Grace, faith, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Grace, faith, and the power of the Holy Spirit versus law, works, and human effort. Now, do you see those two things don't mix well? And that's our problem is we let the mix happen and it kills Christianity for us. Grace versus law. John 1.17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses is about bringing the law. He brought the law to us. He laid the law on us. The law is wonderful, by the way. It's perfect, converting the soul. I'm just thinking of all those wonderful psalms. The law is good. The problem with the law is we aren't very good at being good. That's the whole issue. And if I can just say this, on some level or other, God in his amazing love was messing with us a little bit with the law. Because he knew... We were too weak to be good for more than 30 seconds. We just thought we could do it. And so in the Old Testament, God is, God is so true to his word. He says, if you follow this, you do good, I'll bless you. And if you don't, I'll blast you. And so at every turn, we're falling short of the glory of God. We're sinning. And everything about our performance is just miserable. And so what he's saying to us is, under the law... The law, in a certain sense, is designed to frustrate the dickens out of us. Now see, there's such a thing, I think, as a cycle of religious addiction. Religious addiction is about getting on the performance treadmill. Some preacher gets up and tells you the next ten things you've got to do. And you, you feel guilty, you feel under conviction. There's some element of, I, I'm hungry for God too. I go home and I start working on it. It's like the hamster treadmill. All I can think of is a Kia with that now. Uh, Kia Soul. <laughs> a hamster mobile. But you're on the treadmill. And the religious treadmill says, uh, you know, I'm the little train that can. Choo, 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 choo. I think I can. I think I can. I'm doing good. Doing good. Going somewhere. Going somewhere. And then you you go somewhere for a while, and then you start slacking off because you're doing well. 
And the guilt that motivated you in the first place is wearing down a bit. And so you fall off of that until you start feeling guilty again, and then you get back on that performance treadmill. And, and if you're smart, a couple of good cycles of that, realizing this isn't working, you'd get off of that and just get after Jesus. But unfortunately, churches are driven by the idea that you can just ride this thing and it will work. And, and as though it really were working in anybody's life. And so the point is, the law versus grace. The law is designed in its beauty. It's perfect expression of the will of God. It just can't happen in our lives by us making it work. We need somebody else to make it work and deposit it in our hearts. And that's Jesus. So the law was given through Moses. So the old versus the new. Here's the problem. Is that many of us have mixed a little bit of the grace of God. This is totally free through Jesus with a few good performances to somehow make it work. When you mix law and grace, you don't get super Christian. What you get is frustrated, fruitless, unfulfilled, and just plain angry Christian. And you know what the fruit of, or the works of, mixing some law and some grace. This is what he says to the Galatians. All of those works of the flesh start breaking out in your life. As soon as you add a little religion to your mix, a little law and rules, and try to relate to God based on your performance, what kicks in is the nasty stank of your flesh. And you will find churches full of the works of the flesh. All that tells me is, you know, when you see the the fruits, look back to the roots. And that just tells me they're not operating by grace alone. There's a mix of law and grace. And that happens. When that happens, you don't get super Christian. You get flesh Christians. And everything you say in Galatians is about Christians. You think this is working for you? Look at how you are. There's dissension. There's, there's gossip. There's slander. You're you know immoral like you've never been immoral before. That's because you're trying to mix the two. And so the default setting of some law and some works is to produce the works of the flesh. Is your church doing that? Are you doing that? Versus just being in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fruit of the Spirit kicks in. Why? Because you're full of the love of God. Love, peace, joy, patience, kindness. You don't earn that and ripen into that after 40 years of a walk with the Lord. How many people have heard that nonsense? You get the fruit of the Spirit when you get Jesus. Love is there. Peace, patience, joy is happening. And the only thing that ruins it is adding some laws into that to somehow perfect your holiness. Stay in Jesus and everything's going to roll great. All right? I'm, I'm winding down. Faith versus works. That's the second part. So the new covenant is by grace, not by law. It's by faith versus works. Now, do we do works? God is in us to work out, to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's a different deal. It's coming out of us. It's not something foreign to us. Faith versus works. Ephesians 2.8, here's the, the comparison. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no man may boast. It's either faith or works. That is, I am working this plan 
I am following my Bible plan to do... I'm going to get through the Bible this year. I'm not going to enjoy a minute of it. But I'm going to accomplish my goal. I'm going to do my works. And God's going to look down and he's going to say, Wow, I see that one. He stands out. I'm impressed. Let me bless him now. I'm going to unload the heaven's blessings. All the blessings of God are in Jesus Christ. When you get Jesus, all the blessings that exist are your heritage automatically. So when you try to work to earn it, you're trying to pay God for something God's already paid for to give to you. And it's an insult to the cross. I'm sorry, that payment was a good payment, but I probably need to do some more stuff here for this to work. That's Mormonism. Mormons believe, they have this verse in their Bible, by grace you're saved through faith, not of your own works. Uh, uh, But they, they follow it through and they say, after you've done everything that you can do. So you're in a hole when you get saved and the cross, basically, you know, you're in the hole and your works, by that you climb out the ladder and you'll get there. No, that's just evil. Don't do, don't fall for that. It's by faith or by works. All right, Galatians 3.2. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Unfortunately, we have a Zeus' Street revival to confuse us where they tarried and tarried and prayed. And they paid the price and then the Spirit fell. You don't need to wait another 15 seconds to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because it's not about you, it's about Jesus and His gift of the Holy Spirit to you. And He wants you to have Him. And He wants you to be full of Him. It's about you. I'm yours. I surrender. I turn from all others. I want you. Bang! You get it. Just like you got saved before you were cleaned up or perfect on any level. You just got Jesus and you got the whole shebang. Works. All right. Did you get the, did you receive the Spirit? How do you get the Holy Spirit? I gotta be good for about a week. I'm gonna pray and fast more. You know, all, all praying and fasting in that context does is just gets me a little more focused on who God is, hopefully, and gets our eyes off of us. Here's the curse of religion and why you don't need to live by law, works, and human effort. Everything about religion puts all of your attention on your performance. And if you want to be a miserable wretch of a religious, you know, monk or whatever, then just put all of your attention on how you're doing. There's nothing that, before I stand up and minister, I, I hear a barrage. This is probably why I need therapy. The barrage of the enemy telling me how I could be a lot better, you know, before I get up there. How I'm not really qualified. How I really haven't done all that well. Our church is going through some stuff. Boy, I don't, you know, uh, I'm not the example. But it's not about my performance. Religion wants it to be about how I'm doing or not doing. The more you're there, the more dead you are. Jesus and his performance is our total fixation, preoccupation, and focus. And that's where we have to live to stay in life. This is is a good verse. Galatians 3.5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? I, I got circumcised this week. Now, God's impressed. You know, I'm not particularly blessed, but I believe, I, I'm expecting miracles to happen. I read 400 pages of my Bible. 
And, and I expect God's going to use me now because I did that. Like somehow I've earned it through my works. Or, he says, by simply believing what you heard. That's the hearing of faith. Did The Christian life works by simply taking his word and say, I'll have some of that. Thank you very much. And you step into that because there's, there's actions that correspond with what we believe. We step into that. I, I, I have no faith for you to be healed uh, when I'm over here. But as soon as I reach out and take a step of obedience and faith and, and lay my hands on you, believing that this is what believers do according to the Scripture and they will be healed, then God moves. Just taking Him at His promise and not thinking about how badly you've done this week. If you're preoccupied with how you're doing or not doing, your performance, you're in religion. And you need to get out of that and don't go beat yourself up now. Oh, I've been in religion. Oh, I'm such a bad Christian. I promise to be better. And we do that trip too, right? We want to pay for our sins by feeling bad for a long, long time. We get forgiveness because Jesus paid for it. It doesn't cheapen forgiveness, but we don't have to work it up. We just believe Him. All right. Last point, the spirit uh, versus flesh or human willpower. So we've got two ways of relating to God. And I'm just telling you, the old way is shut down now, so stop messing with it. And if you're reading the Old Testament and you're not reading it through the filter of the New Testament, then you're going to get a whole lot of law, work, and human effort thrown at you. You can't read the New Testament except through the Jesus filter of the New Testament. Because these things were written to believe in Him, and these things are written to reveal. The point of Scripture is that Jesus is the point of Scripture. So if you're reading the law in the Old Testament, and you're becoming, you know, Hava Nagila, you know, Master, uh, and, and you're, you're trying to recapture, we're going to rebuild the tabernacle of David in our prayer movement. That is just religion. In Jesus, we get the full worship of God. And we don't have to recapture something. We get the full something because he is the tabernacle of God. All right. I've got some... I live in Kansas City. All right. <laughs> Talk to you about that. Galatians 3.2. I'm there. I would like to learn just one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law, by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish having begin... or having After beginning with the Spirit, having begun with the Spirit... Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Here's our problem. My willpower, I am, you know, have this much willpower for about five seconds. And, and if we, we're all the same way. Have you ever had a diet plan that's worked, that's lasted? The diet industry knows human strength and willpower will not deliver the good. And so it's counting on you falling off the wagon because your human willpower and your human strength and your effort isn't going to sustain what it is that you need to have happen in your life. Maybe a gun held to your head, the fear of death from your doctor, that'll motivate you for a while. But fear is not a good motivator because you will resent that and you'll fight against it. But the love of God, the perfect love of God will cast out fear and it will take you to what you need to have happen in your life. And it doesn't happen by fear. Religion is fear. Jesus is the love of God, perfecting all the work of God through you. Having begun in the Spirit, are you not trying to perfect it by the flesh? Let me just say, there are two ways to relate to God, but one system is gone. So when we mix a little law and works 
or law, law and grace, a little works uh, and faith, a little bit of human effort with the power of the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life, then we get the default of that, and the default of that mix is not more spirituality and more holiness. We get the works of the flesh showing up and making us seem like, how ugly can I get? And all of that's meant to separate us out from that way of relating so that we're just relating by grace through faith and the power of the Spirit. Jesus died on the cross, and that is a message to remind us the old way of relating to God is gone now, and only through Jesus and by Jesus and about Jesus do we get a life of grace, faith, and the power of the Spirit. Everything that God does in you is done by the Spirit. So you got no willpower. Guess what? He's at work in you to will and work for His good pleasure. Stay full of Jesus. Focused on Jesus. Stay filled with the Holy Spirit. And just let Him act out through you. Stop being so worried about all of those sin things that you're worried. Did, did I overcome this? Did I over... The more you're preoccupied with your sin stuff, the more miserable in your sin you're going to be. But the more you're preoccupied with Jesus, the more that stuff will fall right off of you and you'll look back and say, what happened to that? Christianity is facing the sun and being changed. It's not looking in your mirror at you anymore. So, that's it. I, I, I didn't even have a chance. Hebrews 8, let me just close with this verse. Hebrews 8, 7, it says, If there had been... Uh, For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. What that's saying is that there was something wrong with that first covenant. Now, we know God's part was pretty good. God gave good law. It's good. It's an expression of his will. But it says in verse 8, But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, though, when I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Not like this one, but a better one. And they're going to be in it. It's going to be in your heart. He goes on to say, I'll put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. And by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete is aging and will soon just banish completely. My friends, the old didn't work because we're too weak to make it work. If you think by being super obedient to a bunch of rules and laws that God's going to somehow look at you and say, here's the scale, it's tipping in your favor now because you've really been good this week. Well, last week you weren't so good, so it's kind of equal or not, but you're still doing okay, and eventually you get... That's a pagan perspective of, uh, of how life works. How do you get saved? Yeah. Well, I, I just be good. Christians, get over the delusion of being good. It's It's... You cannot be good to the law for 30 seconds. And then he says that if you try to relate to God based on the law, then you are now liable to obey all of the law perfectly. That's the standard. So don't add some laws. Stay relational with Jesus. Talk to him like you talk to a friend. Spend time with him, but turn off your stinking stopwatch. Read the Bible as a love letter from your king, from your father, but stop putting a performance task to it. If I read three verses and God speaks life into me, that's better than trying to read speed read 15 to accomplish some program. Life flows.
as we treat Him relationally. The rituals have ended. Relationship defines us. And that's the end of it. So I just want to end with a verse that we can pray together. Sorry for the bit of an overkill here, but uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, Jesus says, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's the learning of walking with Jesus in discipleship. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For those that labored in in Judaistic religion, they understood, they were constantly said, there's a this is the burden of the law that we have to bear. There's all of this that we need to do, and it's a, it's a heavy backpack, but you just it's the cost of being a disciple of God. That's the, the Jewish perspective, and so the rabbis would heap laws and rules on people's backs. And then they, they wouldn't lift a finger to help them. Hey, let me help you with the load. I'll just kind of lift up on the bottom of your pack. No, you bear it. Just the cost of it. Joyless, lifeless, burdened walk with God. Jesus says, here's how this is going to work. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The yoke is the biggest statement to me of how the Christian life works. The yoke is what you put over a couple of oxen to plow a field. And it looked like McDonald's golden arches. It might be straight bar, but basically a separation. But the two oxen are linked together. Jesus says, here's how this works. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My burden and my yoke is easy. My burdens are light. The reason that this works is because Christianity is just attaching yourself, being attached to Jesus like a yoke of oxen. And the good news is Jesus is the big blue ox of Paul Bunyan fame. He's the big guy. He's experienced. He's super strong. And all you do is hitch yourself in. Hitch yourself in close to him and stay yoked to Jesus and go for a walk with him. And the point is this. All of the weight is on him. All of the strength is his strength pulling you. And what you're doing in discipleship is going for a walk side by side with the king who has all the weight, all the strength, and he's a good plower. That is the difference between Christianity and the weight and the the burden of religion. I've never seen a happy religious person or a happy vegan for that matter. Just made a half a half a room in enemies right there. No. Go for a walk with Jesus, and anything else is religion. Let's end. Father, thank you for this morning. Will you stand? Let's just pray. I don't know what's next after this, but I just want to bless. Father, thank you for the freedom that you've given us in Jesus. That it's big enough and enough in Jesus. You are sufficient to make the whole Christian life work for us. All we need is you. And we need to stop being religious about it. So, Father, I pray today you just break religious lies off of us, even as I believe you've already done that in the room. You're just breaking some lies about how we do this Christianity thing. The the focus on self 
I just I want to say to you, take your eyes off of you now and just put your eyes on Jesus. Thank Him that He has He has bled enough. He's died enough. He's suffered enough. He's paid enough for this Christian walk to work in my life. So today, uh, I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm just going to step back into grace. It's just a step. I step out of religion and back into this free gift of the Christian experience made to work through faith and and, and operative through the Holy Spirit's power. I just want to live there, stay focused on your performance for me, not what I'm doing, and let you fix my life. Fix my church, Lord, where I've been teaching a mix of law and works, law and grace, human effort and faith. Free me to find that foundation again, the meaning of the message of the cross, all about Jesus, grace, faith, and the power of the Spirit. Work it through us so that we can be free to be good ambassadors for you. I pray in Jesus' name today. Amen. Christ.